1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now.
0: What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
2: This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Eagle Energy. A quick, simple, and energy boost on the go. Try the plant based caffeine inhaler at eagle.energy. Use promo code Gators20 for 20% off. Gators Breakdown. The Gators fan podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I am your host David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-D-C. Neil Blackman from Saturday Down South and Thomas Goldcamp of Swap Twenty Four Seven join me here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Neil, it's never fun losing to those Georgia Bulldogs.
0: No, there's there's really not. Well, <laughs> start an argument at the beginning of the show. <laughs> For a lot of Gators fans, there's not anything worse.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah. there's different degrees of whether it be fsu or lsu tennessee or georgia you're right about that uh so for me it is georgia that's the one that stings the most uh being raised in georgia so yeah uh thomas the gators hung tough for the majority of the game but georgia was just too much in the end
1: yeah i mean i think you look at it uh you know it's easy to take away the lasting impression that you know have it be the final score but uh for the most part even given the mistakes that florida made that was a, a pretty competitive game throughout and I think it says a lot about where Florida's at this year um, when you kind of step back and look at the bigger picture. I mean, this was a game that wasn't even close a year ago. You know, Georgia obviously has a pretty decided talent advantage right now. Uh, so for Florida to be in it and feel like they were competitive for most of the game, I think is a is a positive sign. And I think it gives Florida fans kind of a good idea of where things need to go. You know, the talent, ne- talent level needs to pick up a little bit. Uh, but I think you can feel pretty comfortable that Dan Mullen has things headed in the right direction.
2: Absolutely. Headed in the right direction for this season. And we'll look at things uh, the Gators can improve on uh, to, to, to continue uh, this this season uh, in the positive direction uh, that it's been heading so far. But before we get there, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. They also catch us on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube and Spotify. When using those services, please share, rate, review the show, and let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And, guys, uh, we can point to many aspects of why Georgia beat Florida, but some some things are starting to become noticeable uh, when looking at this game in, uh, in combination with the earlier part of the season. And I'm not trying to say Florida's in in, in trouble here. We're looking at where this team was a year ago and and now all the positive feeling Around the program and, and and feeling good, there are some things that uh, need to be corrected so the Gators can continue the, the positive the direction of the season. And one of the biggest that I noticed are the, are the slow starts the Gators are having this season. The Gators are scoreless in the first quarter the last four games and have not scored in the first quarter in five of the eight games so far this season. Now it hasn't meant too much as the Gators are six and two overall, three and one in that four game stretch. I missed I mentioned. But a faster, better start versus Georgia, and that game is probably going down to the wire. Neil,
0: yeah, I mean, look, um, it should have been seven three after one offensive play uh, for six three with the extra point being pretty much automatic. Um, you know that that ball, it's uh, you, that's obviously a play they repped. Uh, you know he gets he gets that open would have been pretty pretty cage rattling I think for Georgia too just because of the history of that play with with those two coaches and and (laughs) you know Georgia having done that to to Dan and and Grantham the year before and you miss that throw and I don't know if Felipe ever really recovered from that but I but you're right I mean they get they get down 10 you know right out the gate uh and and you know there's an argument maybe that the interception on the second Florida possession was was even worse just because it was pretty clear. I think Florida was what seven yards of play on that possession. And then they throw a pick to the only guy that's covered. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is that that's got them, got them kind of starting slow since the, uh, since really the Tennessee game. Um, but they have, and, and, you know, the LSU game, I mean, but for Jakai polite, maybe they're down 14, nothing. And who knows the outcome there? So, it's something that you'd like to see to see get better, especially when they they play a team like South Carolina, for example, that's also really struggled with slow starts, and is a strong second half team. That's not an opponent you want to let hang around. Um, just kind of looking into the future a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thomas, I brought that stat up, you know, before we came on air here, and it really is surprising. Like I didn't think about it until today, you know. While while all the positive is out there uh, for the strides this offense has made, I, this one's kind of just been overlooked until I, I just really started about. It, I started looking at it today.
1: Yeah, no, uh, you know, we were talking about it before we hopped on live, and uh, I, I was floored to hear that. Uh, I think partly because um, you know they were so bad at slow starts under Jim McElwain that the first couple of games of the season, they were scoring on opening drives and, and really putting together nice first quarters that it seemed like that was over. And, you know, I just never went back and thought, okay, well, it's, that hasn't been a trend that's continued. Um, just spitballing here. I, I actually think, um, you know, and this may be totally off the wall. I, I think that may be a little bit related to Dan Mullen and the Felipe Franks interaction um, where I think that Felipe Franks is limited enough as a quarterback where they really have to put him in the right spots to be successful And I think certainly against these talented teams, you've seen that. Um, And I think a little bit of that maybe is just Dan Mullen feeling out what the other team's going to do. And so, you know, that first series, they don't necessarily, you know, it's scripted, but, you know, maybe the other team shows a wrinkle or something. It takes Dan Mullen a little bit to adjust because you look at the second quarter, Florida's been really good. I mean, we're talking about Florida going into halftime most of these games, LSU, Georgia, uh, being right there in it and really kind of turning things around. So I don't know, maybe that's off the wall. Maybe that's completely inaccurate. but to me, maybe that's a product of Dan Mullen once he sees that first series or two, starting to make those adjustments and, and really simplifying the game. Maybe that's the reason for those slow
2: starts. Yeah, you went where I was uh, going right next, Thomas. In the last uh, in the last four that the Gators have uh, went on to score seven in the second quarter versus Georgia, thirteen versus Vanderbilt, fourteen versus LSU, and three versus Mississippi State. So you know, if this defense is good, it- it's going to have some trouble. Um, you know, not saying they are, but then this, you know, this offense is going to need to help them out, get some faster starts, you know, uh, and, 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 and may need to get off to some faster starts. So this team doesn't have to mount comebacks game in and game out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that's, that's something that they've, they've really got to get going. And and it's something that it's going to be, again, I mean, I think they're going to be favored in, in all four of these games. Um, they're going to win the Idaho game. Okay. So good. That's a seventh victory, but you know, I I don't, I saw what happened. We all saw what happened to Florida state. Um, It doesn't change. That game's so strange because the dynamic of that game is going to be really different in the sense that that's going to be a sort of the Alamo for, for Willie Taggart and, and, and that program. And I think, I think Florida's going to get their best shot. Um, You know, and that's another game. You just, you don't want to let Florida state hang around uh, in that football game, and, and you know, Florida, Florida's going to have to start fast in at least one of these games. I'd like it to be Saturday because I think that's the most game that Florida's most capable of losing in November, but uh, <laughs> we'll see.
2: Any there, Thomas?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, think,
1: I don't think there's any question that Florida needs to start, you know, a little bit faster. Uh, um, to me, uh, you know, talking about these next four games, uh, I really want to see if, Florida can get past that mentality, uh, where it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Mm. Um, and obviously they're not thinking that way or they're not trying to be that way, but this is a Florida team that has not a Florida program. I should say that has not quite grasped that over the last couple of years, even when they're competing, you know, and winning the sec East under Jim McQueen, they just never quite seem to get that you have to be locked in every week. And, you know, Dan Mullen can talk about it as much as he wants. Um, But this Florida team is not at a talent level right now where it can just show up and win games against Missouri, against South Carolina, and against Florida State. Um, Those are games where if you start slow, if you turn the ball over, um, you know, those are losable games. Uh, And so I I think for me, um, you know, regardless of whether or not they start fast, uh, I would like to see Florida just be a little bit more locked in on those games from the start. Um, You can have mistakes. You're not going to execute perfectly every game. Um, but but just going in with the sense that you have to play at that high level every single week uh, and not, not take a step back, I think, is really the most important next step for Florida.
2: Yeah, the focus and execution definitely need to be there. And uh, to kind of look at some other aspects of where Florida needs to get better, turnovers, of course, and six turnovers in the last two games after only committing six in the first five games there. So Felipe Frank's responsible for four of the six turnovers the last uh, uh, two games with two interceptions, one tip there of course, and the two fumbles in each of the last two games. This kind of performance has made some fans already turn on Franks, and it's like many were waiting on this type of performance to say, uh, I told you so. Uh, you know, Franks is a better quarterback than a year ago. He's the best quarterback on the roster right now. He is the best option to win games right now. Does he need to play better? Absolutely. But let's not you know, chastise the guy after one horrible performance. Emory Jones isn't ready, plain and simple. That was a small package of plays he had and uh thomas i just don't really want to take too much from that uh you know small package of emory jones and, and Felipe frank's uh, bad game
1: no and I, I mentioned it during the game you know the fact that they're willing to play emory in that situation is strictly because they've worked that patch, package extensively and Dan Munns talked about it you know when you have young quarterbacks like that what you do is you accentuate their strengths and i think that's obviously what they did with that running package and then you throw in a wrinkle off that where he throws downfield um i, I think for me um I think Felipe Franks has grown, and I think he's still capable of growing more. But I think Saturday for me was kind of the point where I start to get to to the point where I'm thinking, okay, you know Felipe Franks has a has a ceiling, you know he just does from a talent standpoint, from a processing standpoint, he has a ceiling. and I, I don't think he's the long-term answer for Florida. That doesn't mean they can't win a lot of games with him in the meantime until Dan Mullen really finds his guy. Um, and, and I think Dan Mullen's done a great job of adjusting the offense to really limit his weaknesses, you know, the limit the degree that they're exposed. Um, but I think that it's pretty clear at this point that Florida, not just a quarterback, uh, but really across the board, needs a talent upgrade. And, and I think that's particularly evident at QB. I mean, I just don't think that you're going to consistently be able to beat all of the LSU, Georgia, Alabama type teams with Felipe Franks at the helm.
2: Yeah, Neil, it uh it did seem, you know, Felipe Franks, uh, you know, don't want, don't want to make too much of this game, but it's also going to be interesting to see how he bounces back mentally uh for, from this game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a column Saturday night, and the the post-game column that I wrote at Saturday Down South was just this was the game where Florida really needed Felipe Franks to to make to make the plays. Um and and not only that, but he had he Florida had success in the running game Saturday they they were protecting Franks as well in in the passing game so everything that that you know is you could make it as an excuse for what happened um wasn't really there you know when you're running the ball and blocking well you just got to make the throws and and he wasn't doing it uh you take away the 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 NFL strike to Swain and you're talking about 12 of 20 for 69 yards that's three point two yards of completion that's not that's not going to win many games in the group of five let alone the power five let alone against the sec champion uh you know it was just it was a big regression for a player that i think has won a lot of respect um from the fan base and certainly from this coaching staff which is more important this season for how hard he's worked and how much he's invested in getting better and 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 you know but but you're there to win games like this. If you go to Florida and I don't know whether it's Emory Jones or whether it's Jalen Jones, you know, I kind of, not kind of, I agree with Thomas. I think there's a ceiling for Felipe Franks that we've seen. He's 20 of 40 against Georgia now in, in two years for under 200 yards passing. So when you're playing one of the best two, two programs in the conference um, and you've got the kind of playmakers that Felipe has, you have to play better. And, and hopefully, you know, November's, a big month for Felipe Franks. It's also a big month for Florida's program. But it's a big month to kind of take inventory of what does the future of Florida football look like if it involves Felipe Franks because he's not young anymore. he's he's a red shirt sophomore at the end of his third year.
2: Yeah, I went into uh, the Georgia Game thinking there probably wasn't much of a question he would be the quarterback next year. And now you guys talk about that ceiling and I'm not so sure. I still lean that way. Frank's probably the starter when the team runs out of the tunnel against Miami next year, but I'm not as, much sold on that as I as I was before this performance. Like I, said, I, I don't want to make too much of it. I don't want others to either. So you know, I'm trying not, not to overreact there. So you know, I still think he's probably the guy next year, but uh, the doubt is starting to creep in there. And of course, the thought is out there now that some fans want to see Henry Jones because there's no chance to win the SEC now, the SEC East. And look, I I know some think that throwing players to the Wolves is the best way to groom a quarterback, but. That's not really been Mullen's history. You know, he, he doesn't throw guys in there before they're ready. Uh, Mullen says you can see him in, in two or more games this season, so we'll see. You know where that goes uh, as far as redshirting. Uh, well, you know, there's a couple of ways uh, looking at that. You don't really need him at this point, so I think you discuss with him and see what he wants to do. And if he wants to redshirt to save a year, then then okay. You know, there's not many quarterbacks that play four years straight. But if that if that's what he wants, then okay. You know, or going back to the point of redshirting and then playing four years, you know, that's becoming pretty rare. You know, do you, you really see him redshirting this season and, and then being a quarterback in the next four years? Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't happen. So of course, he's not really projected to be a big NFL prospect. So I don't think he's leaving early or anything like that. So going in two or three seasons you, you never know but could you really see anyone being a quarterback for four seasons that's the that that's the point I keep going back to so and it's pretty rare and the Gators have Jalen Jones Anthony Richardson behind him as more competition uh coming on if those recruiting classes stick the the, the way that they are Thomas
1: yeah well let, let me follow up real quick on Franks you know Neil Neil used the term uh regression you know on Saturday for Franks and uh I, I would parse that a little bit more. I'm not sure that Felipe Franks regressed on Saturday. I think what happened is when you play a more talented team like an LSU or a Georgia, and we saw it against LSU too, it's harder for Dan Mullen to hide those fatal flaws that he has. Um, And so I think what you're seeing there is not necessarily that Felipe Franks regressed per se, but that you're more likely to make a mistake against a talented team, that Dan Mullen can't necessarily craft a winning game plan around a quarterback that has Felipe Franks limitations against a team that can take away some of the other stuff like Georgia did. Um, having said that, you know, a lot of Florida fans say, well, okay, well, if Felipe Franks, isn't the answer against those type of teams, let's move on to the next guy. And that's kind of what you're getting at. I don't think Florida has a guy right now that has prepared to this point to step in and do that. You know, there's, there's something to be said for game experience and every college football coach I've ever covered. Um, nobody looks at it big picture like the fans do. They're not looking at, okay, well, if Felipe Franks isn't the guy, let's just throw Emery in there and get him ready for 2019. That's not how coaches think. They're looking at a game-by-game basis and saying, hey, who gives us the best chance to win this Missouri game this week? And if that's Felipe Franks, that's the guy they're going with. They're not thinking about 2019. Um, so I know that's that's hard for a lot of fans to accept and, and kind of get their minds around. Um, but I, I just want to kind of explain that because I think it's important in the context of uh, why Felipe Franks is starting and the fact that he's starting doesn't necessarily mean Dan Mullen doesn't get it or this or that. Uh, but you just kind of have to understand that because I think that's the dynamic that's at play here. It's against more talented teams, it's harder to hide those flaws, but he's still probably the best option Florida has.
2: Go ahead, Neil.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with, with Thomas in, in that regard for, well, on two levels. One, you know, I think. At this point, he's certainly the most prepared quarterback that they have on the roster, and it's nice that Emory Jones has developed to the point where they trust him enough to put a package in for him against the SEC champions. That's great. Florida fans should be thrilled about that. Um, Florida's also only won 10 games 14 times in the history of the school in 112 years of football, and if you don't think that Dan Mullen wants to walk into living rooms in December and say, hey, I just won 10 games my first year, and if you go to Florida state, we're going to beat the hell out of you for four seasons in a row. Yeah. He wants to say that. So who gives him the best chance to do that? It's Felipe Frank. So Florida's in a little bit of a ride or die situation right now uh, with, with this quarterback. And, and yeah, I mean, barring some astronomical uh, leap in spring ball. That's never happened for a Dan Mullen quarterback, by the way, in spring ball. Um, he's going to be the quarterback against Miami too. Now, could it get interesting at the beginning of Emory Jones' sophomore season or, or redshirt freshman season? But I think that they're going to continue to play him a little bit, especially with three home games in a row and Idaho kind of lingering out there. I would imagine that they're not going to redshirt him. Uh, you know, maybe it could get interesting, particularly if things get sideways against Miami. But, you know, this, this is the quarterback that they have. The question, I think, and I agree with Thomas's point, parsing out that word regression. It's probably the wrong word on my part. The question really becomes – next year even, as a fourth-year quarterback, is Felipe Franks a guy that's capable of winning those types of football games? We don't really know. Well,
1: and I think if you look at Dan Mullen's history, and I think you, you kind of alluded to this, uh, I, I think what happens next year is you set up spring to where you have your in mind you know, the guy that could potentially push Franks for a starter, whether that's Kyle Trask mm-hmm. or Emery Jones. And given the fact that you're opening with a Miami if you're seeing the same things from Felipe Franks against a, you know, a Miami team that's maybe not quite as talented as LSU or Georgia, but still is going to be more talented than you know, your traditional cupcake, then maybe you start to transition to Emory. You know, maybe you get him a couple series in there and it becomes an open QB battle because Mullen has done that. He's done that before at Mississippi State where he'll enter the season with a returning starter, um, but maybe a guy that hasn't fully succeeded uh, and then kind of transition to that next guy within the first few games.
2: Yeah, Thomas. Uh, Neil mentioned uh, what he thought would happen with with uh, Emory Jones. How do you, How do you see the the rest of the the season playing now? To you know, Saturday night after the game. Mullen made it sound like they were going to try and keep his red shirt and he was only playing two more games. A couple of days later, Mullen meets with the media to, again today on this Monday and now it, it may be two or more games uh, that that uh, uh, Emory Jones will play in. So uh, I, mean, I, I know it's just guesswork here. Uh, do you think they try and save his red shirt or do you think they uh, install some more packages for him and uh, build on what we saw against uh, Georgia and maybe even more, even more of a, uh, maybe even, an even bigger package, maybe a, against the likes of the season ender at FSU. I,
1: I think he redshirts unless there's an injury to Felipe Franks. I think you've gotten this for reason necessarily to burn it. Um, you know, again, it goes back to the conversation we had where, um, you know, coaches aren't really looking at 2019 at this point. And I don't really see the, the way the schedule sets up with these last four uh idaho is a game you can definitely play them in and not have any concerns about winning um i don't know that you can you're necessarily going to get a great opportunity against a missouri or a south carolina uh florida state maybe um but at that point i think you know if you get through these next two games and emory hasn't played i think probably where they're headed um I, i did make this point uh to a couple people on the 24 7 sports message board when we were talking about this emory situation um to me he's not a guy that has an ideal nfl frame Mm -hmm. um and it's possible that that changes in terms of his weight um but he's got a slender build and you don't see a whole lot of guys with his you know his frame and his build coming out for the nfl early so um you know there's a lot of times these that are that they're great college quarterbacks that do go four years you know you look at a guy like aaron murray uh, just didn't quite have the size despite all, you know, as, as productive as he was to jump. I think Emery could be in that mold. And so I think, you know, a guy like Felipe Franks, you say, okay, you know, when he was a, a, a true freshman, maybe the calculus is different. I think with Emory, that red shirt could still potentially matter uh, because I do think he's a guy that, you know, barring him being a lights out, lights out guy, um, I could see him staying for four years.
2: And Neil, to, to speak to that point even more, you can already tell, and just looking at these recruiting classes, that Dan Mullen's going to be bringing in some quarterbacks year after year after year after year.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty clearly a, a focus he has, and you know, there's a lot of the people that study this all the time, like like the twenty four seven guys do, that that kind of like Jalen Jones at least as a pro prospect more already, um, you know. Like I said, I mean, for me, the takeaway, I think, is is going to try to win 10 games. If they feel like Emory Jones helps them do that, then, then I think they'll play him. Um, if they feel like, you know, they can get through these games with Felipe Franks, Thomas's point is a really good one as to the next two. We'll, we'll know after the South Carolina game. They're not going to burn it in the last two games, I don't think, if it's if it's available for them and then the bowl. Um, but But I think, you know, yeah, I mean, this is this is he was a big recruit you know emory jones is a big recruiting victory and they they can probably look at him and evaluate him in his frame as as a potential four-year guy and if if they don't need him to win these games then that's what they'll do
2: all right we'll take a look at the other side of the ball but before we do that the tailgating was a blast at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party uh this past saturday and i really needed that boost to get the day going after getting there early in the morning and I wanted it fast. So I got it going with Eagle Energy. Of course, I wanted to be focused when the game was going on and Eagle Energy had me focused and ready to go. Eagle Energy is that plant-based caffeine inhaler that provides an effective and fast-acting energy boost via inhalation. Don't have time to wait on energy drinks to work. Eagle Energy has no sugar, no calories and the effects only take a few minutes with no jitterness or that sudden crash. So when these busy game days or in your busy life, give Eagle Energy a try I know I'll be reaching for it this Saturday, as I can always use that boost driving home after the game. Visit eagle.energy to learn more or to try Eagle Energy. Use promo code GATERS20 and get 20% off your order. That's eagle.energy to try a natural, longer-lasting caffeine solution. Eagle Energy. Energy. Reformed. And guys, we're talking about uh, spots that the Gators can get better. Uh, Jacob Light streak of five games in a row uh, with a sack came to an end versus Georgia. Their offensive line did a good job of protecting from, but... You know, it, Still, it was an offensive line that had been struggling in protection up to this point in the season. Uh, in those back-to-back games versus Mississippi State and LSU, the Gators had 11 sacks in two games since then versus Vanderbilt and Georgia. Only two sacks, one apiece in uh, each game there. So and know much of it is determined by bringing the blitz, and there wasn't much versus Georgia when they did. It was picked up, and there really, and there really wasn't much winning one-on-one matchups either. So teams are starting to scheme against this pass rush, double teams, chips, and such. Uh, but this is a stat that needs to find a way to get better as Missouri has only given up 10 sacks all year and that ranks second in the SEC, Neil.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there's this idea that that if – that somehow – and I guess Drew Luck has had a somewhat disappointing senior season, but some of that is schedule. It's, it's not necessarily that Missouri is giving up a lot of sacks or that they give up pressure. First, schematically, they just get the ball out so fast. So it's hard – um it, it's hard for the the front three or front four to get get to the quarterback because uh, they don't run a lot of actions where it's a big downfield throw, um, although certainly he can make them. Um, and, and then second, you know, they played Alabama, they played Georgia, uh, they played South Carolina, and they played Kentucky. So three of those four conference losses are to some of the best teams in the league. Um, so I think, it's a little bit of a deceptive 0-4. They're, they're 21st in s and uh, offensive efficiency, which is a stat that I like. Um, and and I think it's a pretty good offense. And, yeah, I mean, Florida, look, that was a disappointing performance from Ja'Kai Polite on on Saturday. There's no ways around it. I talked to NFL scout for a piece I'm doing this week um, in, in a front office with one of the Florida teams, and he said, you know, they really thought that that was a game where Polite could showcase his wares against – a five-star freshman tackle that, that he should be beating, and, and he doesn't. Um, you know, he didn't play very well. So I think that's something Florida's got to get corrected. The biggest piece, of course, though, is that Florida, the depth piece, and we go back to this is just personnel-based. Recruiting's lifeblood of football, and, you know, C.J. McWilliams tries really hard. He played his butt off, but um, Florida's not in a position where they can replace a midseason All-American safety and two all SEC corners and compete with the SEC champions. And Jake Fromm is a great uh, good enough quarterback to take advantage of that, and he did.
2: Thomas, I know it's just a game on Saturday. Uh, you do your film review here, and yes, C.J. Henderson went down, and, and Florida you know, has has some uh, depth issues in the secondary. Uh, but you know, what did you see from the the, the usual blitzing that for, that we get from Todd Grantham and how it was used on Saturday versus Georgia?
1: Yeah, I mean, they were a little less aggressive, uh, I think, by necessity once D.J. went down. Uh, and that's not surprising. I mean, you know, this is something that was talked about when Marco went down even. Um, you just don't have the luxury of being quite as aggressive if you're not entirely sure you can cover uh, until the pass rush gets there. Then the other thing I think Georgia did really well was they they really schemed to take away Florida's defensive ends um, and, then, and then win, especially in the run game, against Florida's defensive tackles. And for the most part, it worked. So they were able to establish the run that way. And I thought that they really kind of wore down Florida's defensive ends to some degree uh, by bringing across an H back and constantly chipping the defensive end and run support. Uh, I thought that wore on Polite, especially. I thought they, they made a more concerted effort to do that to him. I think it's also part of the reason Jabari Zaniga had a bigger game um, because I thought that was the most we've seen any team really focus their scheme around getting Polite uh, knocked out of play, essentially. Um, and so I thought Jabari Zuniga did a really good job stepping up. I think the problem for Florida, and this goes back to the entire depth and talent argument, there aren't enough other guys on the defensive line that are capable of stepping up in the way that polite is capable of mm-hmm. the way that Zuniga is capable of um, CC Jefferson flashed once or twice, but he's been a little bit of a disappointment this mm-hmm. year. Um, you know, you talk about the two sophomore defensive tackles where everybody was high on Conliff and Slayton haven't really shown up. They're not even really playing much anymore. Um, so, you know, Florida's been solid up front, but they just don't have quite enough true difference makers to, like like Neil keeps saying, compete with the SEC champions. Um, and and I think that showed up on Saturday, and I think it goes back to, again, you know, Florida's just got to start to recruit and replenish that depth and, and really that upper echelon talent that maybe we've seen in the past, particularly with the defense's Will Muschamp left.
2: <laughs> and, Thomas, I know you asked, Dan, uh, after the game, Uh, as such for some players who haven't been on the field as much in in the secondary uh, the last couple games, and, and of course, uh, uh, Stewart uh, this game as well. Uh, What do you you think is going on there? Of course, we know all the rumors that he was going to be suspended and he ended up not playing uh, versus Georgia, so I guess that held some weight there, but uh, uh, Stewart's not the only one that fans are worrying about right now.
1: Yeah, no, it's been really interesting, and and I will say this, Dan Mullen has done a really, really good job of kind of keeping things under wraps we kind of knew that was his MO coming in that he wasn't really going to discuss injuries. And I actually think he's been a little bit more open on that than maybe expected. Um, but he's clearly not going to discuss suspensions. I mean, mm-hmm. he's made that very clear even after the fact when you don't really necessarily gain an advantage by hiding it. Um, you know, I asked him Saturday if Stewart will be available and he he just kind of didn't want to discuss that, said they'd handle it in-house. Um, I, I think he'll be back. I, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but, Most of the people I talked to last week didn't seem to think it was a big deal or something that would linger. Um, Some of the other guys you're talking about, Brian Edwards, you know, he played on special teams. I'm not entirely sure um, why he's not playing more at corner, particularly with the struggles for McWilliams. You know, I asked Todd Grantham about it tonight, and he didn't really have much more of an elucidating answer either. Uh, Just said he kind of just needs to keep working. Um, So not entirely sure what's going on in the secondary there. Hopefully Florida will have some more guys back. Um, you know, Henderson dealing with a back injury, you never know. I mean, you take one bad lick there, and all of a sudden you're back to where you were against Georgia. Uh, so definitely it's an area that Florida has to really, really show up in recruiting this year and then just try to get by as best they can, you know, the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, you know, Thomas just mentioned that uh, Dan Mullen did say C.J. Henderson should be good to go uh, with a back bruise today and uh, definitely will be needed there uh, as the Gators in this passing game that Missouri is going to be bringing to the Swamp Saturday.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it, it's it's another another thing I didn't mention about Missouri is that, you know, Emmanuel Hall, his best receiver, is, has been hurt all season. And then keep hearing, oh, well, he's going to go, he's going to go. So uh, we'll see. They, they did have eight consecutive three-and-outs, which is part of the reason that they <laughs> they blew the 11-point uh, lead at home to Kentucky the other day. Um, that, and I guess, the – Officials felt that was a catchable football on the pass interference call at the end. Uh, you know, <laughs> who knows about that? But, look, uh, sometimes matchups are just bad. And for me, um, this is not a good matchup for Florida. Uh, Missouri can hurt you a little bit in, in the inside zone read running game, which has given Florida's, the interior Florida's defensive line, a lot of trouble this season um, at times. Now, certainly Florida has defended the run better. Uh you know, since Jefferson and Reese came back, but I still think you saw against Vanderbilt that if you get some inside zone actions, get them, you can have a little success on the ground. I think Missouri will be able to run the ball a little bit. Um, and they do get the ball out quick. And and that's going to be a big ask for Florida's secondary, particularly if CJ Henderson's banged up. Florida talked a lot of trash about Missouri at SEC media days um, about their stadium, you know, the comment that stuck with me. It was my first media days and I was there for 24 hours, but I did get to see Drew Locke say, uh, you know, oh, you know, I know I heard what C.C. Jefferson said. I think Missouri takes is going to come in with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They think they're a better football team than than the 0-4 record. Um, obviously, they've had two crushing, heartbreaking losses, but it's a decent matchup for Missouri. They beat Florida by 30 last year. Obviously, the circumstances are wildly different, but, you know, Still, that's a thirty-point turnaround that you're asking the Gators to, to kind of accomplish uh, from a year ago, um, and possibly playing one of the the top five picks in the NFL draft with uh, with you know not a lot in the secondary. It could be it could be a tough. It will be a tough Saturday. I you know I'm not saying Florida's going to lose, but I am saying to, to Thomas's point, even even the good McIlwain teams had trouble in these kinds of games. You know they they go to overtime with FAU. I mean you know. Florida has to bring their focus and be ready to go. They got to put the Georgia loss behind them now, and and be ready to go Saturday.
2: Yeah, Thomas, I swear I was going to wrap it up with you. Both teams coming off of a loss here. Uh, I guess it is kind of this uh, who's going to be mentally prepared and, and mentally ready to, to bounce back after after tough losses, you know, first for Florida, arrival for Georgia and then Missouri, a game they could have, should have, would have won <laughs> against Kentucky. Uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see the mental aspects and you're, you're around the team. You've been around the team uh, you know, two of the last three days. Uh, I, I guess you know, if you could get a feel or read on the team, uh, of course, they're going to say the right things in front of the media. But uh, how do you think they bounce back on this Saturday?
1: Well, I think the attitude's fine. i'm not I'm not super concerned about that. You know I, I mentioned it. it's It's more of a, I guess an understanding than an attitude because I think they have the right mental approach. I think they have the right attitude. Um, I, I think what this game really comes down to is, you know Missouri is a very boomer bust offense, but they're gonna have some boom in this game. Florida's defense is not good enough to completely prevent some of the big plays and prevent Missouri from scoring on a couple drives but they're also going to have some busts and Missouri, you mentioned the eight straight three and outs against Kentucky, Florida's going to get some three and outs. So to me, where this game gets decided is what can Florida's offense do coming off those three and outs. If Florida's able to have some long extended drives coming off those three and outs, all of a sudden you shorten the game, you take away the potential for Missouri to hit some of those bigger plays and quicker scoring drives. And you really start to control things and feel like you're in control. Um, That comes down to execution. You know, that comes down to Felipe Franks holding on to the ball, not turning it over, coming down to establishing the run game, making sure you're not having negative plays via penalty. Um, These are all things that we've seen Florida do at various points in various games. Can they do it on Saturday? Um, You know, both teams are going to be coming off an emotional loss. It, It really just boils down to that execution and really whether or not Florida can establish that, you know, whether or not Florida can make this a game that's played on their terms. And I think that starts with the offense following up three and outs from Missouri. You have to be able to not go three and out your own and give them the ball right back.
2: Yeah. I'll preview the game later on this week, but yeah, I, th- I think it really hinges on uh, what Scott at PR And as you said, Frank's taking care of the ball there uh, to get that offense in a, in a groove. Uh, and Hey, looking back earlier, this episode, maybe scoring some points in the first quarters. <laughs> we'll get, we'll look at it that way. So, uh, you guys, anything else? Uh, I'll let you plug what you got coming up, uh, uh, Neil. First, uh, if you got anything else you want to uh, add here, but uh, Chance, what you've uh, been working on for Saturday Down South and what you got coming up?
0: Uh, I mean, you know, I'm going to do a kind of a lengthier piece on on Florida's front seven and and what um, you know that obviously that there's a lot of assumption that Jai Polito will, will be gone and and you know and if he is, that's that's terrific for him. Uh, and just kind of looking at, at that question and wondering about Florida's window because they do have so much talent to kind of replace up there. Um, although the linebacking core will should be back next year and, and have a chance to be very very good. So uh, if you want to want to check that piece out, that's that's what's coming down the pipe uh, later this week. Kind of a, a closer look at the front seven.
2: All right, Thomas, you uh you joined us here right after the the Monday night the Monday night media session. So you've been around the team, got plenty uh to, to get to get out there on Swamp twenty four seven. Yeah,
1: well, we talked to Todd Grantham a good bit tonight. I thought he had some really interesting things to say on the goal line stand. Uh, you know, he said that's one of the best he's ever been at. Well, he said the best he's ever been around. Never seen anything quite like it. He thinks they can kind of build off that. So we're gonna explore that topic a little bit on Swamp twenty four seven dot com. You know, obviously, we'll keep you up to date with all the day-to-day. We'll talk to some offensive players tomorrow. Um, but as you guys know, you know we keep up with the team pretty regularly. I love interacting with everybody on Twitter. Uh, so be sure to reach out. Let's have some chats. We won't always agree, uh, but I love, I love interacting with all the fans, and it's always great being able to come on your show, Dave.
2: Thanks, Thomas. And yeah, the last couple of weeks about agreeing with people have been pretty popular. So, <laughs> look at uh, everything everything's been pretty fun. Uh, in that, as uh, long as people don't uh, take it too far and too serious, yeah, it's a whole lot of fun out there with the whole interaction. Thomas, I'll see you. I'll be back in the press box Saturday, so I'll see you there on uh, on Saturday. So, all right, man. Looking forward to it. All right, that's Thomas Goldcamp of Swamp Twenty Four Seven. That's where you can find him and Blake Alderman, Luke Stampini, uh, Hollywood Bob Redman. There, all the good. Uh, uh, Coverage that they have, Neil. Thanks for uh, joining us here again, man. I think last time was the Tennessee game. Uh, that turned out pretty well going into that game, so may- maybe a similar result here as the Gators uh, take on Missouri.
0: Yeah, I hope so for uh, for everybody. It's always good to win that homecoming game. So I appreciate you having me on, Dave. And and you know, obviously a big uh, admirer of uh, of all the work that you guys have done, and, and you deserve the audience and 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 reception that you get.
2: One more thing. Talk about the basketball podcast.
0: Oh, so yeah, Florida Basketball Hour, um, weekly podcast, just covering. You know, Florida has one of the best basketball programs in the country too, and and I think somewhat criminally undercovered uh, some sometimes. And so, you know, we're really happy to get that going with with uh, my weekly special guest is Eric Fawcett from Gator Country, who does a great job of yep. of covering Florida basketball, and, and we're going to have all sorts of. Uh, Guest all season long so you know please uh get in there and follow us uh at florida basketball at florida bb hour on twitter uh it's probably the place to to go for that i appreciate you uh you giving a shout out to that and, and helping me out with that one david
2: absolutely man I, you know i stay really really busy with, with, with football and i wish i could i wish i could put the same um uh... Same amount of work and same amount of passion to Florida. Don't get me wrong; the passion is there. I watch every game, but I think my wife would kill me if I picked up uh, another podcast and had to do three shows a week uh, when it's not football season. So you guys have that covered all the way. Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, uh, so, so guys like me, uh, maybe maybe I can join in or something. But I'm glad I'm glad there's the guys like you where people out there can trust with some good Florida basketball information.
0: All right, Dave. Thank you, buddy.
2: Alright, that's Neil Blackman. You can find his work at Saturday Down South. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.